And to that, let us say, Amen. Well, let's turn in that abiding word this morning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We'll read the first eight verses this morning, Romans chapter 12. Paul, again, writing to the church at Rome and to the church in Reading this morning and everywhere else, he writes these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are once again uh, thankful for your word that you've given to us. We recognize that, that we need your instruction. We need your encouragement. We need your correction, your reproof, your training. And we thank you that you have given it to, given it to us in your word. And as we consider these words this morning, we pray for your blessing upon the one who preaches and we who hear. We pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself through the preaching of your word and edify your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated. Well, if you've ever coached a sports team or if you've ever held a management position in a, in a business, if you've ever been really in any position where your purpose is to take a group of people, a team of people, and to get them to, to work together toward a common goal, you've probably had opportunity to call in one of the most well-known adages in team building. It came from Peter Drucker, who was a business management expert. And that adage is that there is no I in team. Which means that any individual who is focusing on themselves, who is seeking to use uh, or to see themselves succeed, and only that is to that degree, well, a detriment to the success of the team. Now, the church is not a business, and it's not a sports team. But it is a team. Um, much more than a team, but not less than a team. The church, a local church particularly, is, 
is a, a group of people with differing but related gifts and skills coming together to perform a certain function with a common goal. That common goal is to glorify God. And along with that, to see one another grow in their relationship with the Lord, to grow in their faith. That's our purpose. That is our goal. Perhaps maybe a better metaphor is that the church is like a medical team in a hospital. The same requirements are there. People with differing skills brought together to perform a a specific function with a common goal. But the twist would be in that, that while we are on the medical team, that we are also the patients. We are the ones who need care. But by God's grace and His wisdom, we are the ones being used by God to provide the care for those patients for one another. And as such a team, some of our goals as a church, as a means to the ultimate goal of glorifying God, are to see people born into the kingdom of God, to see people converted. So in that analogy, that's like our maternity ward in the church. We desire to see people who are spiritually sick, to see them restored to health, That would be like our regular floors, or our ER, or maybe our operating room. Even our purpose is to see the good health of our people, the spiritual health of our people, maintained. So the church is even a wellness center in that way as we seek to, to see that happen. But to do all of that, just like in a hospital, just like in a business, just like on a sports team, a team of any kind, requires people with various skill all bringing those skills together, all using them in the right way to ultimately achieve the goals of the team. And again, our goal, the goal of the church at large and of every individual church, the goal of us at Reading Reform Fellowship is to glorify God through worship, through service, through exercising what He has given to us to worship Him in everything that we do, to see every member of our congregation become more like Christ. That's our goal. Now, in Romans 12, Paul has started this practical, this group of practical exhortations in the second part of the letter here, and he has started by telling us that very thing. He said that because God has shown us so much mercy, He has poured out His mercies upon us in saving us and justifying us sinners freely through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we are therefore to live lives of gratitude. Gratitude for what He has done. Thankfulness for what He has done. Offering ourselves, as we saw last week, our whole selves, every day and in every way to God as a sacrifice, a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. Not to earn our salvation, but because we have been recipients and are recipients of a free salvation given to us by God, by His grace. He has told us 
that to do all of that, we need to, to refuse to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but rather to be constantly being transformed through the ongoing renewal of our mind that we can know God's will with the intent that we will do God's will. We saw all of that last week as Paul introduced this this chapter and this second half of the book. And now in verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12, Paul is beginning now to expand on that introductory exhortation. And he starts by addressing the team. And his message is that there is no I in team, but that every position, every job is an important one. And for the goal given to the team by God, it is imperative that everyone do the work that they have been called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to do and to do it in a particular way. To recognize both the unity of the congregation and to recognize the diversity within the congregation. And Paul's going to address all of that in these verses that we have before us today. Using this analogy of a team, we're going to look at the call to a team attitude, the reality of a team structure, and the means of a team victory. First, the call to a team attitude. Verse 3 there begins with that little word, for, which lets us know that this is connected to what we saw before in verses 1 and 2. The renewed, transformed way of life includes the thoughts of these verses. These things are part of that will of God that we are to to seek out, that good and acceptable and perfect will. This is part of that. And so as we want to be renewed in our minds so that we can offer uh, the proper worship, the spiritual sacrifice that we are to give, we need to know how to do this. And we need to obey, obviously. Paul says, by the grace given to me, by doing so he's making clear there that although, as we saw in verse 1, Paul pastorally is appealing to us using that language this idea of the grace given to me reminds him perhaps reminds us certainly that he does so with the authority of an apostle of Christ that language um, is used by Paul in a couple of other places in fact at the beginning and the end of the book of Romans to To show that, he says at the beginning of the book in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul recognized that his, his work, his calling as an apostle, was through grace, a grace that was given to him and specifically called him as an apostle. And it is as such that he speaks to us this morning. So these are not just platitudes. These are not just suggestions. This comes to us from the apostle, the one sent with authority from God to speak to the churches, to to teach the churches, and so he does so this morning. And he addresses his words, verse 3, to every one of you. 
The problem that he's addressing in these verses is one of pride in the church. Individuals having elevated thinking about themselves and about their own worth and about their own contribution to the church and their importance in the church. Which is, if you think about it, something that would fall under the category of us being conformed to this world. Because that is an attitude of the world. To think of yourself as very important. To think of yourself as more important than others. To, to, to reach for that brass ring. To try to achieve as much as you can. And to think of yourself as just pretty special for doing so. Verse 1 tells us not to do that. Not to conform to be conformed to the world. And it reflects the need for us, this idea, this, this, this situation existing in the church, reflects the need for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what Paul is doing here. By a change in our thinking, which Paul seeks to bring about through these verses. The problem was likely... An issue in the Roman church, since Paul brings it up here, so he addresses it in these verses. And in fact, this is a problem probably in every church, old or new, large or small. And so he speaks to all. I say to every one of you, which of course includes all of us here at Reading Reformed Fellowship this morning, and his call His exhortation, his apostolic command is this in verse 3b, the middle of verse 3. Not to think of himself, each one of you, every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The point is simple. Don't be full of yourselves and of your abilities and of your contribution. Don't think that you are more important than anyone else in the church, no matter what you do. There's a great, or this is a great danger in the church for people to think of themselves as more important, as indispensable, as critical to the work and the life of the church, and more so than someone else. Now, we're going to see more about that in the next few verses, but in order to understand what Paul's really warning against here, we need to understand how God works in a local congregation, in building a local congregation. We know that that though we make efforts, though we pray towards this end, that he is the one who assembles a group of people together. We're all familiar, I hope, with the, the concept of God's providence. Our catechism defines God's works of providence as his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all of his creatures and their actions. It is, the, it is God's means of working out his decree in his world. We say sometimes that God not only ordains the goal of his plan, but he ordains the means to achieve that goal. And his working out of those means is his providence. And so how that works in the individual church, or in, in an individual church, say this individual church, is that God determines 
that this congregation will be composed of people that he brings here through many different ways. Some of you have been here longer than I have been here. Some of you have come through friends. Some of you have come through stumbling across us on the internet. Various ways that people have come here, but all through God's working. If you are a member of this congregation, it is not by accident, but by God's working. And God has been working in your life in preparation for you being here. Making you into the person that you are. Giving you gifts, giving you abilities. And then, through his means, he's brought you here with the intent and for the purpose that you use those gifts and those abilities that he has given you here in this church. And that's true for everyone. And everyone's gifts, everyone's skills, everyone's talents, everyone's abilities that God has given to you are important because they all come from God. And as such... You can't take credit for them. You can't boast in them. They don't make you any better than anyone in the church, no matter what your gift is. That goes from the pew to the pulpit. None of us is irreplaceable because of their talents, because of their contributions, because of their checkbook, or anything that they bring to the life of the church. But our tendency, and this is why Paul is addressing it here, our tendency as fallen creatures is to overestimate our importance. Pride, remember, is the primordial sin. Satan himself fell because of pride. And he successfully tempted our first parents to pride, to thinking that they should be the one to make the rules instead of God. And Paul says here that especially in the context of the church, that this should not be the case. He said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he said, who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? And that's what he's saying here. Now, this is especially a temptation, as you might imagine, for those in the church who have very visible gifts or or have a, a great number of gifts that have been put to use in the church. But Paul says no one should think of himself more highly than he should, than he ought, but, he says, to think with sober judgment. That is, instead of being prideful, being humble. Our thinking in regard to ourselves, he says, should be sober, should be reasonable, should be appropriate. That we shouldn't think too much of ourselves. And that's what it means primarily. But we should make note of the fact that there is also in the church the danger of thinking too little of our place, of our ability to contribute There are people, I've heard them, say, I don't have anything to contribute. I don't have any gift that can be used. We'll see in a moment that that is incorrect. But that, too, is a reason for our thinking to be appropriate, 
our thinking to be sober, our thinking to be biblical, which is what Paul is wanting to, to show us today. In fact, Paul gives us a guideline for our thinking here at the end of the verse. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's a tricky phrase. That, that phrase, measure of faith, which is to guide our thinking, can either be referring to the faith that God gives to everyone, the, the saving faith that he gives, the faith that we all have. In that case, the faith that we have is the measure. It is the, the measuring instrument, and which since we, have all, we all have it, we've all received it as a gift of God, it levels the playing field and allows no place for pride as we think about what we do in the church or what God has gifted us to. It can mean that, or it could be a reference to the faith that God gives us in, in reference to exercising the various gifts that we have. That we, that we should sort of corral our thinking about our gifts within that sphere. Either way, thinking this way will keep us from thinking of ourselves more than we ought and being humble in our estimation, knowing that it is God who is the one who gives us faith, who gives us gifts, and who gives them to us for his use within the church. We are called to remember that there is, just as there is no I in team, that there is no I in church. That we are a family. We are a family that is a team. We're to remember that. Next, in verses 4 and 5, Paul speaks to us more about this team structure that we've already made reference to, the reality of a team structure. And here's the reason that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to think soberly and appropriately. This brings us also to the reason that we should not think less of ourselves either. And to do that, to bring that out, Paul brings in one of his favorite and one of the really most effective analogies for the church considered as a whole, and that is in regard to the individuals in it, and that is our, our analogy or the analogy of our own bodies. And here he uses it to emphasize both, again, the unity of the congregation and the diversity within the congregation. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 is the, the comparison. He says, For as, again, 4 keeps linking this along, for as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Let's stop there for just a minute. Here he's talking about our, our physical body. This is the comparison. And note here, the unity and the diversity message is here. One body, many members. We have many members. We have eyes and hands and kidneys and lungs and all sorts of other things. And it makes up one body. And those members, those parts, Paul says, do not all have the same function. A fairly self-evident truth, I think. And that then leads Paul to apply that illustration to the church, which he does in verse 5. He says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. It's the same thing in the church. It's the same idea, the same sort of unity, the same sort of diversity. 
We now are the members. You are the members. We are the eyes, the hands, the kidneys, the lungs, etc. And like the parts of our bodies, we do not all have the same function in the church. And the many, together, are one body. And Paul reminds us of a very important truth, that we are one body in Christ. He's the source of the unity. This mystical body of Christ, which is the church, has a head. And that head is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. And as we are united to Christ, united to that body, we become a part of that body. We become under the head. We are nourished by the Word. We are nourished by His Spirit. In fact, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper, which part of what it does is reminds us of that fact. We're nourished also by one another. Again, by God's providence, by God's will, by His design. Look at the end of the verse. He says, and individually members, not of the church, though that's true, individually members one of another. You see, people, as as children of God, as part of a congregation, we are not just related as brothers and sisters, but we are interrelated. Not just members of Christ, but members of one another. Members along with one another. Responsible, not just to the head, but responsible to one another. for, For good, for the benefit of one another, through the exercise of our gifts. Now, I mentioned that this is a favorite metaphor of Paul's. And one of the other places where he draws this same teaching out in a little more detail is in 1 Corinthians 12. If you want to turn there, uh, turn quickly because we've got to move along this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, listen to what Paul says. He says in verse 12, For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. That is, so it is with Christ's body. In verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, that is, the physical body of one member, but many. He goes on and says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, there's the diversity, yet one body. There's the unity. He says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So he's saying the same thing there in 1 Corinthians 12 as he is saying here. And he's using the the illustration to combat the same problem there in the Corinthian church as he is here in the Roman church. Some of the eyes were saying to the hands, I have no need of you. 
But Paul is saying there's one body and it's made up of all the parts, all our necessary parts. All of them exist, all work, not for their own good, but for the good of the body. Doing their part so that the body will function as it should. And then down in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that takes us back to Romans 12. Because Paul here is saying the same thing. Just as there are many members in the body, but that all are critical and all work together to make up the body, so we individual members of the body of Christ here in this church are all important. None are unimportant. And so the structure of the church is like that of a body, Paul is saying. And likewise, as we've extended to a different metaphor, it is like that of a team. And every member of the team is important. And as there is no I in team, there is no I in church. Now let's expand that a little more as we come to our final point this morning, and that is the means of a team victory. And for the church, victory means growth in Christ. It means proper worship to God. It means being used by God in our local community to be used in our local congregation to see our congregation grow. And again, the church is a family and it is a body and it functions very much as a team. Look at what he says in verse 6a, the beginning of verse 6. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul says we have gifts that differ. Where do those gifts come from? We've talked about gifts a lot. We've noted that they come from God, but particularly they come from the Holy Spirit. It is He who works in us. It is He who gives us the gifts. I'm going to jump back to 1 Corinthians 12, this time to the beginning of the the chapter, earlier in the chapter, in verse 4. Listen to what he says there. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It is God, specifically the Holy Spirit, who works in us and gives us gifts. And these gifts can come to us very naturally. In fact, they most normally do. Through God's providence, through your, your background, your upbringing, your skills, your intellect, your, your compassion, all of these different things God uses, the Holy Spirit uses and gives to us, and they are gifts that are given to us then to serve the church, to serve one another, to serve the other members of your church particularly. Different gifts, Paul says, but one Spirit who gives them, in verse 4, who empowers them, in verse 11, he gives them effectiveness, and who apportions them, who gives them, it says, as he wills. And let's not miss these four words in verse 11 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He says there, 
that all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What does that mean? As we go back to Romans 12. It means that the means of a team victory is this, that every member of the church receives a gift or gifts with which to serve the church. Remember earlier I said that when someone says, I don't have any gifts, I don't have any abilities that I can use in the church, that that's incorrect? Here it is. He gives to each one individually. And then, back in 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's right then that he launches into this whole explanation of, of the body and the members. But in Romans 12, Paul is saying we have different gifts that are all given to us, notice, according to the grace given to us. It's really like according to the, the, the free gifts, the grace, a free gift given to us. Free gifts given so that no one can boast. But if we are not to boast, which we're not, Paul says there is one thing that we, that you and I, all of us, are called to do. It's in verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That is our calling in relation to this. And Paul puts this at the beginning of his section of working out what it means to be transformed, to offer up our lives as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice to God. Our gifts, your gifts, beloved, are given to you for the good of the body. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, that is the gifts that the Spirit gives, for the common good. For the good of all of us. The gifts that God gives to me are not for me, but they're for the church. And in the same way, the gifts that God gives to you are not just for you, but they're for the good of the church. The means of a team victory, the way that is that we function as the church is meant to function and accomplish what God calls us to as the church comes down to doing what He says. Let us use them. And using them as we should comes down itself to three things. To humility, to faithfulness, and to care, or diligence. Actually, I like the word conscientiousness, but that's a long word, so we'll use, uh, we'll use all three of them. First, humility. As Paul says, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Not seeking to, to draw attention to ourselves and to our giftedness. Recognizing that we are part of a body. That we don't have to say, Hey, look here, look at me, look at what I'm doing. There's some people like that. 
Not saying or thinking. Not just that we don't say it, but that we don't think that, that the one with, with that gift over there or that one there that, that <laughs> just has one while I'm doing all sorts of things. To think that they are not as important as I am. Humility is essential in the proper exercising of our gifts. The second thing is faithfulness. To not, as I remember they used to say, setting your gift on a shelf and let it sit there unused. Let the gift that God has given to you for you to serve your congregation, to let it gather dust. We need to realize that our gifts are for the good of our church family, for the common good, Paul said. To recognize, we need to recognize that the body, listen to this, that the body will not function as it is meant to function if we refuse to use our gifts or to make our gifts available, contrary to the command of God the command of God to use the gifts the Spirit has given to us. There are many people who have gifts that would be of great use to the church, but they won't use them. We are to use them faithfully. There are those in our congregation, there are those in congregations who, 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 are, who are faithful. And there are those in churches today, perhaps in our own congregation, who are not. Which are you? Think on that this morning as, we, as we're going through this, these verses that God has given to us through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. What are you depriving your fellow church members of by sitting on your hands in regard to your gifts? Are you looking for ways to serve? Have you talked to the pastor and the elders and said, what can I do? A while back, we took a survey of different gifts that people have, and we thank you for filling those out. Those are still on my computer, and we make reference to them at times and say, who's the right person to do this? But you need to be faithful to do it. Are you willing? Are you looking for ways to serve? And are you willing to, to test your giftedness? Maybe even to discover gifts that, that you may not know that you possess. Some are developed in the context of the team. The third thing, the third way for the victory, the third way that we are to use our gifts is with care, with diligence, with conscientiousness. See, not only are, are you willing to serve your congregation, but you must be determined to serve it to the best of your ability. Do you give your best to your serving your church family or do you not? If it's convenient, sure. If it's not, I got better things to do. Or when you do it, do you... Well, some people have gifts. Some people serve in various ways, but do it in a way that would get them fired if it was their job. Doesn't 
serving God and his body deserve your most conscientious service? Answer, yes, it does. It is a privilege of the greatest magnitude to be chosen by God to serve his people in the way that he has gifted you to serve. Let us act like it. Paul expands on that thought here in the last few, last two and a half verses, and he picks a representative sampling of gifts, seven of them, interestingly, as an example. So I think this is a representative list. And the the expressions that he uses to to speak of each of these are given in a very very shorthand way in a very few words. In fact, to translate them, we need to add some words in English to make clear what is being expressed. He begins in the middle of verse 6. He says, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. So that is, if a person's gift is prophecy, let him exercise it in proportion to his faith. Those are the kind of words that we need to add in to get the full idea. He just says, if prophecy, he actually says, if prophecy in proportion to faith. Now, the gift of prophecy was the ability to utter inspired messages through direct inspiration. Specifically here, Paul is talking about New Testament prophets who were second in importance only to the apostles in the New Testament. And Paul says to them, exercise that gift in proportion to your faith, in proportion to what God has given to you. Use it. Don't go beyond what God has given. Don't hold back. But perform the gift appropriately. And we don't have prophets today, but we can pull from that that we are to use the gifts that we have in proportion to our faith. Now certainly the next one is the same thing. And he says, if service in our serving, or again, if someone's gift is service, let him exercise it in our serving. And what that means is that if your gift is one of service, serve. Use it. Do it. Humbly, faithfully, conscientiously. The word here in the original is the Greek word diakonia, from where we get the word deacon, but would refer to any gift, any talent, any ability to serve in the church. It's quite a contrast from prophecy, but it shows that both of those are God given gifts, both are necessary or were necessary in the church. Prophecy has gone away because now we don't need direct inspiration because we have the inspired word. But neither are to be an occasion, no gift is to be an occasion for pride or self-pity on the other end. Serve with your whole heart. Serve as a servant. Serve in the pattern of the one who came not to be served, but to serve. If your gift is serving, do that. Third, the one who teaches in his teaching. This is the the gift of passing on the truth of God's word as it has been passed down in the Holy Scriptures. But again, a very similar exhortation. Do it. 
If your gift is teaching, teach and do it well. Do it humbly. Do it diligently. Do it sacrificially. Do it conscientiously. As Paul spoke to Timothy, so here we'd speak to every teacher's study to show yourself approved. Sunday school teachers, Bible study teachers, the pastor, everyone in the church that teaches, teach diligently. Teach recognizing that that is the way you serve his body. Likewise, number four, the one who exhorts, he says, in his exhortation. The one who exhorts or urges, the word means, appeals, uh, let him use that gift in the way that it is meant to be used. That goes with the teaching gift. The teacher passes on knowledge. The exhorter stimulates people to action according to that knowledge, to living out their faith. The word also means to encourage. That's a word that's used in the translation of Barnabas' name, the son of encouragement. And it's a much-needed gift in the church today where there is so much discouragement and so many discouraging events. The one who exhorts, the one who, who encourages. It's the same word, by the way, that's used of the Holy Spirit who does these things. Number five, the one who contributes, that is the one who gives, Paul says, do it in generosity. The one who gives, whether you're giving to others, either through the church or directly, one who shares with others or one who has a gift to to be able to give to the church, do it, he says, with generosity to whomever you're giving. The, refer, the, the word there in generosity really refers to giving that displays singleness of heart, singleness of intent, no ulterior motives in your giving. Giving without expecting anything in return, even recognition. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, so to speak. Let the giver give simply. Number six, the one who leads, he says, with zeal. If that's your gift, lead with zeal. This is speaking of one who exercises a position of leadership in the church or rule or direction. Paul uses it uh, a couple times to refer to leaders in the local church. So we might see that as speaking of elders, the pastor. 1 Peter 5 1 and 2 exhorts elders to shepherd the flock and to exercise oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you. It's the same for anyone in any position of leadership in the church. Do it with zeal. Do it with eagerness. Do it with diligence. Do it with faithfulness. And then finally he turns to the one who does acts of mercy and he exhorts them to do so with cheerfulness. Literally, it says the one who shows kindness or concern for someone in serious need. That's what the word there, acts of mercy, means. Those who are gifted by God with a special ministry to to visit the sick, to pray for the sick, to care for the elderly, to care for the disabled, to provide for the poor or the suffering. Paul says, do that and do it, he says, with cheerfulness. That is, with radiant joy. Not as a begrudging thing but joyfully cheerfully to serve 
Those seven he gives. And by application, we could, and I think should, extend this to every various gift in the church. Whatever it may be, if it falls under those categories or or outside of them. You know, whether you're greeting people on Sunday morning, whether you're folding bulletins or cleaning the church, leading a Bible study, praying for members of the congregation, playing the piano, serving on committees, serving as an officer of the church, sending cards to missionaries, whatever it is, and for each of you this morning who calls this church your home, it should be something, but whatever it is, the gifts that we have, and we all have them, Paul says, let us use them. Looking to God, praising God who gives the gifts and who has given us a measure of faith as he has made us a part of this body, this family, this team called the Church of Christ. One body, many members. Let us be humble, functional members that the church may be strengthened, that we might be counted obedient, that God might use us and strengthen us in order that God might be glorified. And to that, let us all say, Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for for your grace in using us. In using us flawed, fallen people for the good of one another. We thank you, Lord, that that you give to us that, that grace And we thank you that your spirit gives us gifts by which we may do that. And Lord, our prayer this morning is help us to do them. Help us to use our gifts. Help us to to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But help us to realize that you have us here for a purpose within this body. Not just to receive Lord, not just to to sit here and and soak in the ministry of the other members, but that we all might minister to one another and thereby fulfill your law concerning the church. We pray you'd help us. We pray you would make clear to those of this congregation, the individual members, where their gifts lie. We pray for the elders that we might help those who are seeking ways to serve. We pray that we would pray for one another that we would all do what you have called us to do, Lord, uh, that we might see this body, that you have brought us all together uh, to, to worship and to serve in, uh, might grow, and that we might glorify you as it does. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.